This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. And welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined today by Deborah Fitzgerald, writer and editor for The Pulse. How's it going, Deb? It's going great, Andrew. <laughs> That's a fun take on my name that I haven't heard before. Andrew. There yes, it yes. It's good to enunciate. It's all right. You know, we, we've taken on this kind of like uh, teacher-student relationship a little bit as you've hmm. been helping me get my feet under me for the editorial side of the paper. Sure. Uh, but I, I didn't think that you were going to infantilize me that much by calling me Andrew. Well, at least I didn't call you Andy, right? Has well, anybody ever called you Andy? Yes, actually. Funny story. Um, all through high school, I pretty much went by Andy Clyden. Pretty everybody called me both names, which okay. was weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got so fed up of people misspelling my names in theater programs and stuff like that that I, all through college, was Andrew James. Oh, okay. Like, that was my last name. Okay, basically. because they couldn't spell Clyden. The Andy was probably easier. Andy was fine. Okay, uh, nobody ever misspelled Andy, but okay. Clyden was misspelled every single time I got anything back from anywhere. I'm and sure. So, Andrew James was all through all through college. Well, it's got a nice nice ring to it. I like that. Yeah, it was my Maybe stage name. Maybe we'll start calling you that, AJ. Nope, not that. Okay, not AJ. I don't go AJ. by AJ. I don't go by Drew. <laughs> um, but then when I moved up here, it was. Back to Andrew Clyden. But All nobody right. calls me Andy anymore. And well, I'm just not an Andy, really. Yeah, I, mean, I, I guess could be. Well, when you actually put out Andrew, when you introduce yourself as Andrew, then then there's a, a lesser chance that people are going to automatically shorten it. It's not like a name like James, where people might automatically shorten it to Jim. Yeah. Or Deborah, which is automatically shortened. Right. I mean, people just find it painful to say Deborah for some reason. <laughs> Are you fine with either one? Because I I I use you interchangeably, I think. I do use them interchangeably, yes. Um, And I don't really have a template or code for that, why I use it sometimes and not others. But I actually like the name Deborah. I like the way it sounds. I like the way it's spelled. But, you know, I recognize that it's just not something I can hang on to all the time. Right. Let me guess. Sometimes a Deborah, sometimes a Deb, never a Debbie. No, actually, my family, to my family. If you call me Debbie, then you're related to me. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that, that's kind of me and, and Andy. The only people who still call me Andy are my parents. Mm-hmm. My sister calls me Sunny, which was my nickname when I was a baby. Oh. And she doesn't do it that much anymore, but my brother-in-law, her husband, always calls me Sunny. Like, that's mm. how he was introduced to me, so that's how he knows me, even though I'm 27 now and I was five when he met me. <laughs> So. Well, I don't know how I bungled your name at the beginning, but it's definitely not that. Whatever it was. Andrew. So, yeah, Andrew. That's fine. Although I, I have been shortened to Drew a lot. I find that a lot of times older people will call me Drew. And I oh. think that they maybe just didn't hear the first part. Okay, that could be. Yes. Right. Yes. All right. So, Deb, it's been a little bit since we've had you on the it podcast, has. you and me. And so I, I have some stories that I want to go over with you. Uh, but before we do, uh, I just wanted to kind of get your... Uh, your inclination. Is it springtime yet? Are we finally there? Uh, We have tomatoes and green peppers germinating in our house underneath grow lights. So yes, 
It is spring. Officially. It is officially in our house. It is. That's good because I thought it was spring at the beginning of the week. And then we saw what happened with the weather there. Yes. Uh, In my intro for the paper this week, I talked about finally getting my bicycle out and switching my son's boots to his like springtime sneakers. And then we got that big downpouring of snow, which now is completely gone. Yes. So it was just uh, a kind of a flash in the pan, but it did make me put my bikes away and I felt bad that I jumped the gun a little bit mm. on springtime. Uh, but then uh, you came onto our Slack channels and you told you kind of broke the news on a story that I feel like made some other people feel bad about jumping the gun on springtime. <laughs> so there was a uh, another ice rescue. Yes. And we had one in February, on February 4th, where 66 people were rescued from the ice. Mm-hmm. And conditions were kind of similar mm-hmm. in that it had warmed up pretty considerably but there was still a lot of snow on the ground when that one happened so it wasn't that weird mm-hmm. like I when I first heard the news I was like why are people on the ice it's so warm out mm-hmm. but you know beginning of February still snow on the ground not that that big of a stretch now this time around uh what happened here how many people were rescued and and kind of tell me the the story as you learned it okay well it was Pretty similar, actually, to what happened uh, February 4, only in um, size and scale, it was smaller. So uh, there were some, you know, anglers on the ice. They, uh, there was a, the conditions were similar in that it was very mild leading up to Monday. And that was the same thing that happened in February. And then there was an offshore wind. So, um, and when it was pretty strong as well. So apparently when that happens, it can push the ice away from the shore and that's what happened February 4 and then currents kind of cracked up that uh, that ice flow and into three separate pieces but this time it it stayed in one piece which was about a mile long pushed offshore there were apparently 13 people um, on this ice flow but three of them somehow or other um, Mike Neal with the uh, DNR told me that they took a long way and were able to find a connection and walked off. The other 10 were rescued um, by the Sturgeon Bay Fire Department and the U.S. Coast Guard. I'm sure those three were were feeling pretty lucky that they were able to get back to shore on their own. Right. I don't know how they did it. Um, I was trying to to track that, but but nobody really knew because the conditions really moved the ice pretty fast. Um, So the shove was uh, drifting pretty quickly. Is there a fine associated with an ice rescue like this? There is not. Um, uh, Rescue operations are considered to be what the U.S. Coast Guard does. And um, as we know from our local departments, also what they do. Yeah, I I had seen some people posting some kind of conflicting information on that. So I wanted to clarify it. Yeah, there Um, is not. And I had checked that with the uh, um, Door County Sheriff's Office back in February to find out if there was anything like that. And um, they don't want to ever discourage people from, you know, contacting, uh, calling 911 when there is an emergency. And it's not just for that reason, but if they were ever to find conditions uh, that would warrant, you know, some kind of a citation, then that's not out of the question. But ju- the fact of being rescued is not citation worthy. Right. There, there are fines associated with uh, property, right? If property is sunk into the water, if correct? Like if you were to property. lose your truck or your shanty, if that were to go under. Well, the I don't, I don't know if that's the case. Um, I, I have no idea. That's not something that I looked at. Uh, a shanty going underwater. I don't know what they would 
do without. Sure. And regardless, there weren't any shanties on the water. No, this and time. I, I would imagine that they would need to call a private company to to get a shanty out or something that has been submerged in the water. I don't believe that property rescues are something that the U.S. Coast Guard would do unless there were lives at stake. But I could be wrong on that. Right. You, you know, it's interesting because when I think of like uh, people needing to be rescued from the ice, I always think about people like going under or like breaking through the ice. I never think about all of the ice just just separating and then mm-hmm. floating away. Uh, but I suppose if you're ice fishing and then the show starts to go down the stream, now you're fly ice fishing, right? <laughs> I think that that would be... Well, you're definitely adrift. Right. I, don't, I don't know how much flying you're doing, but you are adrift. Um, so it's kind of like being on a boat, I guess. Yeah, um, a really big boat where everybody probably know, has a little, their own area to fish from. Yeah, it's probably a little scarier. Sure. Yeah. But uh, regardless, everybody was safe. Nobody Everybody nobody was safe. Nobody got wet. Nobody got cold. And apparently somebody um, dropped to their knees and hugged the shore when they got there. So it really, you know, must be kind of a frightening situation to be adrift on an iceberg. Yeah. I don't like going out on the ice at all ever because Mm. your mind just starts to like, oh, what was that noise? What was this? What was that? Uh, To imagine like the whole thing just breaking away and leaving. That would be sure. That would be the worst. Sure. So, yes. and I know that we're, we're having some fun here because everyone was safe, but I, mm-hmm. I imagine it was very, very scary. Yes. And, um, you know, the response is pretty immediate. So, I mean, there, we're really fortunate that, you know, we have um, good agencies here that are able to respond so quickly and to get the job done. Well, and you had mentioned that shanties are, uh, they have to be off the ice by a certain date. They do. Um, and then, but ice fishing doesn't have a, a certain closing date. It's just when the ice is gone. When the ice is gone, right? The so, ice fishing is over. Yeah. So there's there's no like it's even though ice fishing like shanties have to be removed. That's not the end of. There's still going to be ice fishing after that. Uh, but Correct. It's not necessarily recommended. Even though I don't think I don't think there's any recommendation for going on the ice. Right. You kind of take the risk when you go out on the ice at any time, no matter if the ice is super thick or not. Sure. And I mean. You know, you are hoping that the guides that you're chartering to take you out ice fishing understand the conditions as well. Um, And I understand that that was the case, you know, with this group of people. So they weren't just out there, you know, by themselves. They had received some advice on how to do it. And it's interesting because the U.S. Coast Guard said that they get calls all the time from people asking if the ice is still safe to go out on. And they never tell people that the ice is safe to go out on. Right. They consider it never to be safe. So, yeah, you have to really take, uh, you know, the DNR has guidelines for it. And we've published those a couple of times, you know, a certain thickness is good for this. So people just need to, you know, take the initiative and, and learn about safe ice conditions before they go out. Right. Uh, next thing I wanted to chat about is uh, an ATV trail in Southern Door. So I was I was skimming through what you wrote about this, and it seems like uh, maybe maybe another story about jumping the gun a little bit. Tell me tell me about this what this trail is and and how it got into the situation that it got into. Yeah. Well, this is a this is an ATV uh, route that um, goes along a county highway, and it's actually in Nassawapi. So. Uh, Nassawapi decided to open it up to ATV, UTV use. And then the Door County Board of Supervisors, um, prompted by a request from Nassawapi and what they thought to be uh, endorsement by the city of Sturgeon Bay, also 
allows ATVs, UTVs on this stretch of County Highway C from PD traveling north towards Sturgeon Bay. So the point of this connection um, of this route was to connect with North Duluth Avenue in Sturgeon Bay. And that would then allow um, people to go to Bullhead Point. Um, There are a couple of, uh, I think there's uh, two restaurants out there. And so that was the, that was the, the, point of doing that. Um, However, the city of Sturgeon Bay didn't actually approve this. They don't have um, ATV, UTV routes within the city. And so they didn't approve this route. So the it was a, a little bit premature to have approved it connecting to there because right now it dead ends there. Right. So the it, it went forward based on letters, correct? But those letters Good. were not official approvals. Correct. Um, this evolved from the traffic and parking committee uh, within the city of Sturgeon Bay. And they have talked about it a couple of times. The first time that I saw a conversation uh, in the minutes when I went through all of their minutes was, I believe, in August. And then they brought it up again in October and had quite a long conversation about it. According to the minutes of that meeting and people who were at that meeting, they decided to look into it a lot more and to bring people, you know, from uh, safety units in to talk about it and, and just to do a little bit more research before they decided to approve that route. Well, they they met again in January and late January, January 24. But in the meantime, between October and January, they didn't have a meeting. And yet the committee somehow sent letters of endorsement to the town of Nassawapi and um, also to the uh, county of Door saying that if they were to approve opening County Road C, then the Parking and Traffic Committee and the City of Sturgeon Bay would then take up the issue for approval. And there was there was some opposition to this, correct? It, there it sounds is. like it came as a surprise to the the residents along the trail, correct? Well, and that's that's the the part that. Uh, you know, it wasn't very transparent. I mean, you're the people who are opposed to it. There are 63 residents who live on North Duluth Avenue. And um, from those that I have spoken to, I haven't found any who are actually supportive of it, though they may emerge, but I have not spoken with anybody who has been supportive of it. So they were trying to track this, um, but then it would pop up in the town of Nassawapi where a uh, city of Sturgeon Bay, all the person, you know, a in early January, talking about how Sturgeon Bay is thinking about opening this. And then the letters came out and then the um, parking and traffic committee meets in January and they just approve it. So they were trying to follow it to be able to give input. And yet that process was shortcutted. You know, it, it, it curtailed their opportunity to actually have a voice on the, on the uh, subject. Right. So, so what happens then once, once it's discovered that this uh, kind of hopped over the approval process a mm-hmm. little bit. What what turns out? Well, apparently it was supposed to be on the city of Sturgeon Bay's agenda, but Mayor David Ward decided to pull it off and send it back to traffic and parking so that they could have uh, an input period from the community. So it's not by any means a done deal. And, you know, at this point in time, neither is it a a dead deal. So that will be happening on Monday, that meeting. It's at 4.30 at the city of Sturgeon Bay Municipal Offices. 
All right. So kind of kind of an interesting little mystery that was solved a little bit. And now it's kind of going back and going through the correct channels. Right? Yes. And that's, you know, the whole point of those correct channels is to enable people to, to give voice to something. And so, you know, that's that's the point of them. And this went a little bit rogue. Right. I, I think that that's a great place to segue into our final piece, unless there's anything else that you had to add I about don't, the trail. I don't, no, no. Then, then let's talk about Dollar General. So okay. uh, kind of a, a resolution to the story uh, in some ways. We'll, we'll see how things kind of shake out here after this meeting is, you know, finished. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's let's go back just briefly to talk about this because we talked about Dollar General a number of times on the podcast. Uh, there okay. was a proposal up in Sister Bay uh, that people were, were very vocally against mm-hmm. uh, and that proposal was shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than come back to Sister Bay with a revised proposal, uh, the developer decided to go down to the town of Egg Harbor, correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that made it for made it through its preliminary meetings and then finally got in front of the town board of supervisors and uh, walk me through that meeting. OK, so that meeting, uh, what came before that was an official public hearing. Um, so that happened about two weeks prior and uh, two or three weeks prior. So that meeting lasted about two and a half hours and it gave people an opportunity to speak for or against the project. And there were uh, it was a Zoom meeting, a virtual meeting, and it maxed out at 100 people and people were calling in. There were about 39 people who spoke in opposition to it and two people who said that they wanted it. So from there... Um, the town board of supervisors officiate during that public hearing, but they don't say anything. So it's strictly for the public to be able to give their point of view. So they give their point of view, the town board uh, adjourns a meeting. So the next thing for the town of Egg Harbor is to go through their aesthetic design review board. And that board will take a look at the aesthetics, um, the, you know, driveway, the lines of the building, um, basically what they're looking at is to, you know, make sure that the property looks good. That's a very, um, really shorthand way of saying it, but, but that's basically what it is. You know, they want to make sure that it looks good and that it's screened from neighboring properties. And, you know, so those are the types of issues that they're looking at. So they went through that. They screened, um, the property with, uh, numerous trees that weren't in the original site plan and, um, and then approved it based upon that. And then, so then it goes to the town board of supervisors for their final say. And that's the meeting that happened on Monday evening. Right. So you, you talked about there being some pretty strong opposition, but that went beyond just the, the 90 something people in the zoom call as well. Right. So if you've driven through egg Harbor lately, you've probably seen signs. Uh, there was a little, I guess you'd call it a committee or a group that was formed against the dollar general. Yes. I've been pretty outspoken about it. So this is, uh, just as it was in sister Bay, this has been a, a really controversial development in egg Harbor as well. Definitely. And the group here was, we are eggs against dollar general. And they had, I think it was more than 3,200 signatures by Monday evening on their petition. And yes, there were signs everywhere. So they were, they hired an attorney and that attorney spoke on, on their behalf. So they were pretty organized in their opposition. Right. And we'll, we'll talk about what happened at the end of the meeting here shortly, because I want to go over what the, the town board decided. Uh, but I, I think it's interesting to note 
that the the group in opposition and why they were in opposition, those types of things. I heard people on social media talking about not wanting to devalue the character of Door County uh, or, you know, to hold Door County to a higher standard than to let something like Dollar General in. Those were the things that I was hearing online. Uh, and I think it's interesting to compare that to how this meeting ended. Like, And we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, tell me about the, the meeting that happened and what was finally decided. Okay. So the, the meeting, uh, going into the meeting, the primary opposition was uh, traffic and safety concerns. If anybody knows that intersection, it is right next to the fun park. There's It's a little road. It's a two-lane highway on 42. There are no turn lanes. They were expecting quite a lot of traffic for a chain retail um, outlet like this. So that was one of their primary concerns. The other was, as you've mentioned, um, that it would mar the natural beauty of Door County. And then the third uh, thing was that Dollar Generals have have shown to put other businesses out of business. Um, and so they wanted to try and protect the local proprietors and the local businesses. So that was the, the primary opposition. So before the meeting, there is only 10 minutes of public input. And uh, there are about 79 people on the Zoom call. So the town adhered to their format, which is always just to have 10 minutes total of public comment, and then stop the public comment and proceed to discuss whatever the issues are. So they did that. They opened it up to public comment. Um, one, two, three people were allowed to speak within, they took up that 10 minute time frame. So when they shut that off, there was just really a lot of complaints among the people who were on the Zoom meeting. Um, I would say that it went back and forth probably for about 10 minutes with people pressing, trying to get more time to be able to speak. Finally, the, you know, the chair was firm in keeping, you know, their format and they advised, well, required everybody to mute themselves as they talked about the issue. Almost immediately, um, it was apparent that they were moving in the direction of denying it. Sure. But as... As, as it goes with town boards, you need a legal reason to deny something, right? Uh, I feel like that's something that not a lot of people know is that town boards can't deny something based on their character or based on their viability as a business or based on uh, whether people want them there or not. It, there has to be a legal standing for them to deny something because if they deny something uh, on some dubious grounds, then they open themselves up to lawsuits. Sure. And while they could deny something based upon it not being in character if they follow their comprehensive plan. Um, all municipalities have reasons why they can or cannot uh, disapprove of something. Right. And, you know, the town board, you know, has a set of ordinances. And while it doesn't have zoning, it, it does have those ordin ordinances. And that's really what their attorney, Randy Nesbitt, relied upon was their um, was their driveway ordinance, their road and driveway ordinance. So basically what he said is, um, you know, the driveway just does not comply with their ordinance. And it... And the way that the traffic would flow and the topography of the area, because there's a hill that comes down, um, you know, just, I don't know, maybe 100 feet from where the driveway would be. And so for the, the traffic flow, 
the circulation of the traffic and the topographic features, he used that from their ordinance to uh, tell them that they had grounds upon which to deny this permit. Sure. Yeah, I I think uh, one of the biggest misconceptions about Door County is that we don't allow chains. Uh, but then you go to Sturgeon Bay and there's chains everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they're like, well, north of the bridge, north of the bridge, we don't allow change. But then it's like, well, every single gas station is a chain. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shopco was a chain. Uh, there was a radio shack up in Sister Bay. Mm-hmm. So it's like that. That's not that's not quite true. Uh, mm-hmm. And and then people will go to uh, the subway that was proposed for Sister Bay and say, like, that was when Door County took a stand and said no chains. It's like, actually, they denied it because of their, their drive-through. Yes, and, because of their drive Right. So it's like, they didn't say no because you're a chain. They said no because, you know, it didn't fit within the zoning. And so, like, that's the, the thing that opened my eyes to this as well. Because, of course, before I started learning about any of this with the Pulse, I thought, you know, a town board could approve or deny anything based on a number of reasons. Uh, but learning that there has to be legal standing for it Mm -hmm. uh, that's where the challenge comes in so when you're talking about those different uh, things that they were thinking about uh, it makes sense that they would hone in on something as concrete as like their traffic ordinances because that would be something that's very clearly like hey it doesn't fit in so we can deny you yeah and apparently and this is a little twist on this also um there's there's some town boards who have adopted village powers and a village is very much like a city and that has far greater powers than a town does but apparently in certain situations if if a town adopts village powers then they are able to actually use some of a village authority to be able to deny something so they were bringing in several different things several different Um, grounds upon which they were basing this denial. But the formal denial has to do with the town's um, ordinance. Right. So uh, they denied the the project. uh, And then what happened at the end of the meeting? How did this kind of uh, shake out? So they vote unanimously to deny it. And while they were discussing it, the developer did try to interject while there was a motion on the floor. And when there is a motion on the floor, then nobody from the public and um, no presenter can offer any comment. But this developer, you know, was trying to rebut some of the things that they were saying upon which they were, you know, clearly moving in a direction to deny this. Well, they shut him down so that he was not able to speak. And once they... uh, once they unanimously denied him the permit, he said afterwards that, you know, he wanted to uh, say something to address the board. And suddenly the participants started yelling at him, telling him to go home, that they didn't want him. And it was kind of startling because it was, I guess this is a complete understatement, but it was a very ungracious way, you know, to end the meeting. Um, it was like a verbal stoning, you know, just right. telling him to go home. Well, and that that's why I brought up the like, you know, holding Door County to a higher standard, not wanting something like this to come in because it somehow devalues uh, the town or the county. And then the response at the meeting to have this like big screaming fit and telling somebody to leave and that kind of stuff. It's the other reason why I kept bringing up like towns need a a legal reason to shut things down because this isn't about, you know, the village coming together and throwing over overthrowing big business and saying, we don't want you here. And then to behave that way, even though that's not really what this whole thing is Mm. like that, 
reading that, I was like, oh man. That, <laughs> yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, m- maybe it wasn't technically about that, but but certainly uh, the town's attorney came prepared to, you know, defend a way to do it. And it, it sounded to me like the town board certainly wasn't deaf to that very, very strong perception that this was not the kind of business that people wanted in this community. But it, it brings up some really important issues. Like what I think about, first of all, is, you know, why are Dollar General so attractive? You know, why are they able to push into so many different communities? They were in all of the communities in Southwest Minnesota on the border of South Dakota, where I lived before I came here. They were, uh, you know, a vital part of those communities because they didn't have any other, you know, retail options, really. Here, that's not the case. Um, So you have to look at why people feel they they need that, which is, of course, a far greater discussion than the scope of ours here. But and well, and I want to I, I want to say too that you can feel however you want to feel about Dollar General and it coming to Door County. Uh, I don't want to make it feel like I you know am for or against or anything like that. You can feel however you want. If you're strongly opposed to it, that's great. If you mm-hmm. think it would be a great addition to the the, the community, that's fine too. Um, it, it's just like the the opposition and the signs and then the screaming at the end of the meeting, it all like, if it's all in protecting the quality of the County or or like trying to uphold the community to a certain level to have it devolve into that at the end, it like that just, I don't know. Reading that was, was very strange. Yeah, it was, it was, it was also pretty discouraging to be witness to. Um, uh, you know, it, it really was like at its most basic level, really bad sportsmanship. Sure. You know, it's kind of like the winner, you know, going over to the losing team and heckling them. Um, so right. that that's kind of what this was. And it was unnecessary. It was unneeded. And they probably have reflected upon that. And over this, you know, period of time, it was, it was an emotional issue. And people also, I think, have a greater inclination to express themselves, you know, via a video conference than they would in person. Yeah, I was just going to say, how do you think this would have went uh, in non-COVID times if this is an in-person meeting? Right. I think just, yeah. You wouldn't have that pent up energy, I don't think, of just wanting to like interact. I, so maybe I, the mob mentality isn't there. I totally uh, agree with that. I mean, and I also think because if you think of social media, how easy it is to you know, say something to somebody that you wouldn't say to them in person. So I think that video conferences are the same way. Like it somehow doesn't feel like there's a live human being in front of you so I think, right. yeah, so I think that could be, you know, some part of it. Right. So that is uh, the end of the story as we see it we think. right now. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, there's always the chance that the developer could come back with another idea or uh, a different location or all those things. And we'll see what happens uh, if, if he tries again in another location mm-hmm. or if he comes back to a different board with a new plan that fits in with the zoning more. But Well, we do have um, intelligence that says that they are going to be coming um, to a Southern door community. Right. And I have not been able to confirm that yet, but I am working on confirming that. Right. So we'll, we'll gear up for round three down <laughs> in Southern door, I suppose. Uh, 
with that, Deb, uh, is there anything else that people need to know about anything that's gone on in the last week? Or are you excited just to kind of get out and enjoy the weekend in the sunshine? I am very excited about this weekend because it's supposed to be in the 50s and then it's going to rain all next week. So I am incredibly excited. I am too. I have a, I just moved towards the end of last year. So I have a brand new yard to explore and start doing landscaping and stuff. So we'll we'll jump on that this weekend and hopefully it won't snow again Yeah, and, and make me feel bad. We can only hope. Great. Well, with that, Deb, thank you so much for chatting with me, and I can't wait to chat with you again soon. Okay. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.